Would you turn with me this morning to a couple of different passages? Uh, First of all, Galatians 5. We're going to read just two verses there, and then we're going to really focus our attention on 1 Corinthians 13. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but then also 1 Corinthians 13, which will be uh, the focus of our time this morning. We're going to, as I mentioned earlier, look this fall at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, A few years ago, I wrote uh, a series of columns for the contact in which I looked at the fruit of the Spirit, in particular at different characters in the Bible that that illustrated uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And I've kind of turned many of those uh, contact articles into messages, and so we're going to look at a, a lot of those today, but as, or this week, this coming, these coming weeks. But as we do, um, we're going to also look at uh, some of the characteristics of the fruit. How are we supposed to live as God wants us to live, to be fruitful Christians? We're going to look at some of those uh, different ideas, but this morning we're not going to actually look at any particular character And in fact, we're going to look at the the first fruit of the Spirit, love, in a little bit different format. We're going to not focus so much on the characteristics or the traits of love, but we're going to look at how does it fit within the the list of fruit of the Spirit as well. Don't worry, we're going to come back to that passage, 1 Corinthians 13 in January, in the context of looking at several verses or several chapters in Corinthians where Paul writes about spiritual gifts and how to best use them within the church as we look at the title under the title Spirit the Spirit in the Church. And there we'll look at the, some of the characteristics of fruit when we get to 1 Corinthians 13. But but this morning I want to look more at how does how is the this the first fruit of the spirit and how does that fit uh, and interplay with the other fruit of the spirit? And so that's going to be our our focus. Let's start by reading about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Most of us probably have this memorized, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he goes on and says, against such things there is no law. Now let's turn to to 1 Corinthians 13, where the very first listed fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love. And look at how Paul expands on what it means to be people of love, what that means that that is a fruit of the Spirit and, in fact, the the first fruit of the Spirit. Now, a little background. We'll get into this more in January when we look at it. Uh, But the Corinthian church was enamored with not the fruit of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit. They were enamored with the the idea that, that some of them could speak in tongues or heal or prophesy or, or have special kinds of wisdom or things like that. And they saw those things as, as a significant um, hint that these people were especially spiritually filled. Unfortunately, they, they left everyone else who had all kinds of different spiritual gifts uh, of the Spirit as second-class citizens. And so Paul is trying to correct that, and we'll look at how he does that when we turn to it in January. But what he does in 1 Corinthians 13 then is he says after talking about what it means to be the church and using our gifts, he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way, 
This is the best way, Paul says, to live as a Christian. This is the best way to exercise our gifts of the Spirit. And so he goes on, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we pray that you would help us to see how the greatest of these is love. <clears throat> how love fits in with uh, living the way you want us to and, and uh, how it fits in with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the work of sanctification. And we pray that we not only learn, but that we might be encouraged by your Spirit and how we might put this into practice in this coming week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as the Corinthian church discovered, the gifts of the Spirit are fascinating and exciting. To be a gifted person means to receive accolades from others. Perhaps for these reasons, the gifts of the Spirit often receive far more attention than the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit often receive far more attention than the fruit of the Spirit, and yet it is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that marks our progress in sanctification. Now, that wasn't the case in, in Corinth. They were using the gifts of the Spirit and particularly the, the more miraculous gifts like speaking in tongues and healing and prophecy and the like as the yardstick by which they measured a person's spirituality. And Paul says that's not the case. The yardstick by which your spirituality is measured is by the fruit of the Spirit. That's a mark of our progress in sanctification. I think it's fair to say that the Holy Spirit's no longer the neglected member of the Trinity. 
Back in the days when the Heidelberg Catechism felt it only had to give one question and answer to, to talk about the Spirit and the like. Today, charismatic Pentecostal circles stress the power of the Spirit in people's lives to the point where I think maybe the Holy Spirit's a little embarrassed by all the publicity. After all, the Spirit has always been behind the scenes, always pointing to Jesus Christ. But despite all this Pentecostal fervor, we, we need to be reminded that the first fruit of the Spirit is not power, maybe as evidenced in speaking in tongues or prophecy or healing. It's not power, but the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul says as much in Galatians 5 and in 1 Corinthians 13. So this morning, just briefly, let's look at five things that Paul says about love. And the very first thing he says is kind of the key this morning. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Think about it. What's the main thing that differentiates Christians from others? On the top 10 list of Christian virtues, what's number one? Some might say it's truth. Correct belief, loyalty to the creeds and confessions and doctrines of Scripture. Certainly, this is a strong suit of the Christian Reformed Church. And those who say that might be right to a certain degree. Certainly, biblical truth is sacred and vital, and we need to uphold it. But notice what Paul says. He says, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all the knowledge of the truth that there is, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, love is greater than knowledge. Some might say faith. After all, we are justified by faith alone. It's at the heart of Christianity and the avenue by which God gives us salvation and eternal life. Salvation's a, a gift of God, but like a gift we get at Christmas or on our birthday, you have to unwrap it to receive it. And we unwrap the gift by faith. It is important, extremely important in the Christian life. And yet, notice what Paul says. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. How about religious experience? That was certainly the case for the Corinthians. Now, our conversion and our experiences that verify our relationship with God through Jesus Christ are important. In some circles, such as Corinth, they include speaking in tongues, healing, prophesy, prophecy, often identified as significant marks of being fulfilled by the Spirit. And We cannot deny that religious experience is important. After all, Paul says in Romans 8, 16, that the Holy Spirit does witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And yet, listen to what Paul says again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have the gift of prophecy, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is greater than religious experience. Well, how about service? We've been looking in the evening service at uh, the Gospel of Mark, and, and I've noted along the way that the, sort of the key idea behind the Gospel of Mark, I think, is that, that Jesus came as a servant. He said he came not to be served, but to serve. And then he called us to be 
servants. So Jesus was a servant. He calls us to be servants, to, to sacrifice for those in need. And yet again, look what Paul says. If I give all I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is greater than service. So while all of these things are vital, love has the priority. And in fact, all of these things come as an outgrowth of love. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit, intentionally, I believe, in Galatians 5. I don't think Paul just decided to to throw a whole bunch of virtues out and, and didn't really care what order he put them in. I think that's intentional. And I think it is in reality. It's not an accident, as we read earlier, that Jesus' great commandment is to love. He summarizes all the Bible, all of God's law in one word, love, and in two directions, loving God above all, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Love, which is self-giving and sacrificial, which is actually what the word means that Paul, when Paul talks about love here. It's the word agape. Love that is self-giving and sacrificial is the distinguishing characteristic of a Christian. Holiness, Christian growth, or sanctification all begin with love. But then, I think we can make a case that love brings joy and peace, among other things. I think the sequence in Paul's spiritual fruit list is significant. Love brings joy and peace. To be a human is to pursue happiness, joy, and peace, something our Declaration of Independence calls a self-evident truth. But Christians add that those who pursue true happiness will never find it. That joy and peace can never be sought and found. They are rather byproducts of love. Think about it. If this kind of agape love were truly in everyone's heart and lived out in everyone's life in this world, joy and peace would naturally follow. Joy and peace can never be sought, but they're byproducts of love. And God gives them not to those who pursue them, but to those who pursue him. Human pursuit ultimately is about self-love. What can we get for ourselves? And that's the opposite of agapic love, self-giving love. When we love, joy and peace follow as natural results. Love is first, then joy and peace. But love also acts. Love acts in patience, kindness, and goodness. Love is not merely romance or eroticism or sentimental emotion. Love is, according to the word agape, sacrificial service. It's an action. In our world, the whole concept of love sounds dreamy, abstract, and shows it, but it, actual, in actuality, love shows itself in concrete attitudes and concrete actions. And Paul lists three of them as the next three fruit of the Spirit. First of all, Passively, love responds with patience. Passively, love responds with patience, literally long-suffering in the Greek. 
That is, putting up a long time with aggravating, demanding people, putting up a long time with, with situations that we don't know if we can, we can tolerate. Passively, it responds with patience. But actively, love complements patience with kindness and goodness. And we could say kindness is wishing good for other people, while goodness is doing good for other people. All three, patience, kindness, and goodness, are working out of love. Paul writes, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient and kind, and by love we serve each other. So, in other words, Paul is already including these fruit of the Spirit in his list of characteristics of love. We cannot just say we love the world and say we love others. We need to show it by our actions. And then love is also balanced. And the last three fruit of the Spirit talk about balance in our lives. It's balanced by self-discipline. These last three fruit are nuances of self-mastery. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is keeping our promises and, and fulfilling our responsibilities. Love is faithful. Love makes us faithful. Gentleness, taming our strengths and harnessing our energies. And, and I use those words intentionally, taming and harnessing, because the word for gentleness, which is also translated meekness sometimes, like in the, fruit of the, or like in the uh, Beatitudes, is a, a word that was used of taming a wild animal. When you tame a wild horse, for example, it, it doesn't lose its strength. But now its strength is, is uh, disciplined, is tamed, and is harnessed to do uh, the thing that is most helpful, harnessing our energies. And then self-control, which is disciplining our instincts and mastering our passions. Disciplining our instincts and mastering our passions. If you look at uh, or listen to religious, different religions throughout the world, you find out that there are, there are uh, aspects of Christianity that they have borrowed, aspects of the Bible that, that have kind of worked their way into those religions. And uh, one is on self-control. The Buddha once said, if one person conquers in battle a thousand times a thousand and another conquers himself, the one who conquers himself is the greatest of all conquerors. Or as Paul says, love is balanced by self-discipline. Why? Well, love, as the word is used by Christians, is self-giving, and self-giving and self-control complement each other. How can we give ourselves if we cannot control ourselves? Dr. Kenneth Moyner, a mission, medical missionary in Burundi, Central Africa, once wrote a poem that, that gets at what I've been, been talking about, the connection of love with the other fruit of the Spirit. He wrote, Joy is love exalting, and peace is love at rest. Patience, love enduring in every trial and test, Gentleness, love yielding to all that is not sin. Goodness, love in actions that flow from Christ within. 
Faith is love's eyes open, the loving Christ to see. Meekness, love not fighting, but bowed at Calvary. Temperance, love in harness, and under Christ's control. The Christ is love in person. And love, Christ in the soul. That last phrase I want to dwell on for just a moment. The Christ is love in person. I didn't pick a biblical character to exude love or, or a, a regular human biblical character because Christ is love in person. As John says in 1 John 4, God is love. Christ is love. But then notice also that love, when it's expressed by us, when it's found in us, is the evidence of Christ in the soul. Christ in the soul. That's the only way we can truly be loving people is if, if Christ is in our soul. And so that leads me to the fifth thing that I think Paul is saying, and that is simply love is the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the natural result of the supernatural work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, earlier in uh, Galatians 5, Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with what we might call the fruit of the sinful nature, the fruit of the flesh. He says in verses 19 through 21, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, in and of ourselves, if we don't have the Spirit in our lives, that's what our lives will look like. You know, we, we often make the comment, our world seems to be going to hell. Our world seems so terrible. Is it any surprise? Paul's already warned us. A world without the Spirit in it, a person without the Spirit in it, is going to look like that. So it's not any surprise It's not great, but it's not any surprise to us. You see, it's only when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives that he can subdue the sinful nature and help us produce fruit in its place. And as we mentioned already, there's only one person in whom the fruit of the Spirit has ripened to perfection. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is a portrait of Jesus Christ. If the fruit of the Spirit is summed up by love, certainly no one ever loved as he did. We're going to celebrate in a moment the results of that love and remember how he did that through the cross. Love, joy, and peace are characteristics of his life. He was patient, kind, and full of goodness, faithful, gentle in heart, and had perfect self-control. So the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is Christ-likeness, to be like Christ. And Christ-likeness is the purpose of God for you and me. And if it's God's purpose, then it should be our personal goal for life as well. Pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to work, actively cooperate with Him and you'll be able to reach toward the goal of sanctification 
growing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word. Mostly we thank you for your love. And we pray that we would now seek to live out that that love in our lives. Seek to express that Christ in our soul to others so that they might know and seek to have that as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to prepare our hearts to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, let's be reminded of the fact that it's, it remembers the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And so we're going to sing together Beneath the Cross. It's uh, number 825 if you're following along and lift up your hearts beneath the cross and we'll stand and sing the three stanzas.